0: Welcome to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Joyous conversations about what the afterlife evidence and modern science combine to tell us is true about our one reality. You have nothing to fear. You are eternal and you are perfectly loved. Knowing the
1: truth changes everything. Now, here's Roberta.
0: Hello, dear friends. Welcome to Seek Reality. I'm Roberta Grimes, and I'm delighted you could be with us today. We're going to do some more mind-bending stuff. The most wonderful development in recent years in the whole field of afterlife research is the fact that what the evidence has been telling us all along about how reality is constructed is now being borne out by working scholars, including working scientists. I'm so amazed. A few weeks ago, we had the great young Dutch PhD researcher Bernardo Kastrup as our guest, and he plans to return in September. Now, here for the second time is Mark Gober. Mark is an amazing researcher whose book is called An End to Upside-Down Thinking. I love that. Dispelling the myth that the brain produces consciousness and the implications for everyday life which of course is a very important side fact about this what does it mean his book is a must read if you're trying to better get your mind around the fact that what we experience as human consciousness actually is the base creative force it's all that objectively exists and you know some of the world's greatest scientists have been talking about this for a, a, almost a century Max Planck was the father of quantum mechanics, and he said, I regard consciousness as fundamental. I regard matter as derivative from consciousness. His great insight was, in fact, the greatest discovery of the 20th century, and it came from his work in quantum mechanics. Of course, as you know, quantum mechanics was emphatically not Albert Einstein's very favorite thing, but even he was thinking about this. He said, One of the things, many things you said that were related to this is the fact that our experience of separation, that you and I are separate, may be an illusion of consciousness. Wow, that's profound. Einstein said that. The great Nikola Tesla said, the day science begins to study non-physical phenomena, it will make more progress in one decade than in all the previous centuries of its existence. But... Tragically, mainstream science has continued to cling to its materialist dogma, supremely certain that math, math, believe it or not, is the key to figuring everything out. As a result, my own beloved scientific American, which so recently was certain that any minute now someone would figure out how the brain generates consciousness, has lately been reduced to printing some really nonsensical and entirely unsupported theories as if they were, you know, genuine new discoveries. They're not. They're ridiculous. And it also has taken to admitting, sadly, that the precise way that the brain produces consciousness actually may never be found. That's kind of sad. Mark Gober is a partner at Sherpa Technology Group in Silicon Valley. He's a bright young man, so curious that when the scientific claims in this field didn't make sense to him, unlike 99.9% of the rest of us, he actually set out to figure out what did make sense. And that's why his wonderful book is so important. It's been endorsed by such eminent scholars and thinkers as Dr. Irvin Laszlo, the IANS chief scientist, Dr. Dean Radin, University of Virginia professor, Dr. Ed Kelly, my friend, Jack Canfield, and my own wonderful personal hero, the great British thinker, Rupert Sheldrake. Mark is an important leader in this new generation of public intellectuals. Mark, welcome. I'm so happy to have you back again.
1: Thank you so much, Roberta. I'm looking forward to the discussion.
0: So, just because some people may not have heard you, Mark was introduced his book to us at the end of uh, 2018, which was a wonderful program. I hope you'll go back and listen to it. But in case you haven't heard it, if you're listening now, Mark, please tell us again, for the sake of, the, of these people who really may not have heard you before, how a Silicon Valley business guy became interested in the whole topic of consciousness –
1: I have the same question, still. <laughs> <laughs> how do I know how
0: that feels? <laughs>
1: That's great. <laughs> well, if, it, if we were talking three years ago today, I would not have known anything about consciousness or anything that I wrote about. This oh, was a, a fairly basically. recent a recent discovery for me. It was in August of 2016 when I first stumbled across podcasts that first exposed me to these ideas. And I wasn't explicitly looking for research on consciousness I was listening to business podcasts and health podcasts, and I heard one called uh, Healing Powers uh, by a woman named Laura Powers, who has psychic yes. abilities of her own. Yeah, she's that been le- one of our guests too. Everyone, look up Laura. She's wonderful as well. She is. And that was kind of my first exposure, and I, I I wouldn't say that that changed my life, just hearing a few of her podcasts, but they raised enough questions to the point where I, I decided to start reading and researching further. And when I got into the real research and saw scientific evidence, then my paradigm began to shift, and I started to research more and more, spent about a full year just redoing my whole paradigm of life because i i I came from very much a materialist perspective without probably calling that i I had a very conventional view of life and here i was being exposed to information that challenged that view so it was a very transformative period for me personally and at the end of that year decided to put my to summarize the research into a book Uh, originally i had no plans of writing a book that that came much later and here we are today well,
0: so the, because your book is really, really good and deep, and it looks like there was a massive effort involved. You're saying it just sort of slipped, sort of slipped out like that. It was, oh, I guess I'm writing a book now, and you just wrote it.
1: <laughs> well, it did take a lot of effort, and there was a year's worth of research. But the actual writing portion of it, of, of building the manuscript, that happened over a few weekends in July of 2017. I remember and, this
0: story. Oh yeah. my goodness, it's amazing.
1: Yes. It just and, and actually I've kind of been trained to do things like that. My my background in investment banking and I wrote a thesis in undergrad at Princeton. I'm very used to building narratives and putting evidence together. So it was just kind of applying lots of skills that I had used many times before to the years worth of research that I kind of had stuck in my head.
0: An End to Upside-Down Thinking, everyone, is a very, very good book. It's an easy and powerful read, but there's so much more meat in it. If you've read my books, you know that I kind of like to give you as much happy stuff as I can. This is a solid book. It's such an excellent book that it's one of a very few, a handful of newer books that we've added to the bibliography uh, that goes into all of our fun books. I'm, I'm very careful what I put there, but this was something I'm hoping everyone will read this book. So, that's how it started for you. What happened then after you got the book
1: out? Hmm. So I, I wrote the initial manuscript in July of 2017, and then was very fortunate to end up being connected with my now agent and publisher, Bill Gladstone, who represents Irvin Laszlo and Eckhart Tolle and people yes. in this space. Wow! So good. it was it was very helpful to be connected with Bill because he he knows the space, and so he's been a, a major part of getting the book out, and so the. The book was published in August of, excuse me, October of 2018, and so since then I've been speaking publicly um, both in the U.S. and in Europe and also doing lots of interviews just to talk about the ideas and hopefully present the information in a way that people can digest. And that's really been my goal because as you kind of alluded to earlier, these ideas are not necessarily new. Maybe some of the scientific studies are new, but the ideas are not. And what I found what I found to be lacking in in the literature when I was reading uh, was a synthesis of many different areas put into one place that a non-scientist, non-philosopher, maybe even non-spiritual person could digest. And that was my goal. Yes.
0: And you did a beautiful job of that. But all right. You had to go into, you know, your regular day job and everyone looked at you funny or what happened? How did you come out (laughs) to, to these people after you had written this book and it was published?
1: At first, when I learned of these topics in August of 2016 and fall of 2016, I barely talked to anybody about these topics because I was trying to figure out what was real and what wasn't. I had a hard time believing that my picture of reality was completely wrong and that most of the people around me also didn't have an accurate picture of reality. So it took me months before I could get the picture straight in my head of actually being able to talk about the topics. And it wasn't until around the time that I wrote the manuscript, which was in 2017, summer of 2017, that I started to talk to colleagues about it. And it was more just expressing my interest in the, in the ideas. And actually, the, the reception, at least in my close professional circles, was really positive Great. because we work with – Uh, companies, usually in the intellectual property arena, meaning people who are innovating relative to what has been done in the past. It's known as prior art. So we see this all the time where there was a way of doing things in terms of technology. Someone comes along and challenges it completely and gets a patent because the idea is novel. And that is kind of similar to what I'm discussing in the book. So when I presented this to my colleagues and they read the, the initial manuscript, they were very receptive to it.
0: And they said, can we get a patent on this? Can we patent <laughs> reality? Wouldn't that be great? But, no, that, that's, that's very encouraging um, because I had a similar situation. I'm an attorney by profession, and when I finally wrote The Fun of Dying, I had to come out to my clients. And it was interesting to range. Of uh, nobody fired me, but there were some people who said, oh, that's interesting. Now let's go back to this paragraph uh, in the contract. They didn't want to know anything about it. But there, but there have been some people who now um, are friends beyond the work I've done for them as a lawyer because of this, because I've opened their minds to new ideas. So I think 10 years ago even, you wouldn't have gotten such a good reception. I've seen it change in that time. Certainly 20 years ago, you wouldn't have. And that's very encouraging, don't you
1: think, the fact that people are so much more open-minded now? Yes, I think it's encouraging. And it might also be the case that I'm not hearing some of the negative feedback because people don't want to say it. So I'm biased by the ones who are saying just, just the positive things. I'm sure there is a little bit of both.
0: Yeah. Well, a lot of people uh, find it troubling because they have a settled sense of reality and you're disrupting it. But it's all good news. I mean, it's not like you haven't just said, hey, I just discovered there's no afterlife. I have just discovered, uh, you know, the, this or that terrible thing. You've discovered wonderful, wonderful things. So I would think that if they're at all open minded, um, that it would be positive. But OK, mm-hmm. let, let's talk about the problem with science. Um There's a a sentence that I quoted from from the book last time, and I want to quote it again because I think it's so important. The scientific community, everyone, to this day resists the idea of consciousness as primary. No matter what Dr. Planck said, no matter what Einstein said, they just can't go there. And this may be a reason why – Mark says in an in end to upside down thinking, if even one of the anomalous phenomena described in this book is in fact real, then the consciousness's primary framework is a much more suitable picture of reality than is materialism. And if that is true, then we listen to this, then we need to rethink together as a civilization, we need to rethink science, technology, medicine, education, politics, and what it means to be human. So Basically everything, mm-hmm. this, the, the, what, what you have discovered and others have as well, and I'm sure is, this in fact is true, I have no doubt about it, the evidence is overwhelming, what, what you all have discovered changes everything in the most profound way, so no wonder scientists are kind of swallowing hard if they, if they see more and more of this evidence coming forward, but how do you feel about it? Why is it that they find it so hard to face this, do you think?
1: I try to think back to my old state of mind um, three plus years ago. How would I have approached the right. implications of this? And I think the fact that the ideas are ultimately very comforting is one of the reasons one might resist it. Because I think there's a bias, and, and I probably had this before, which is that, well, if something is comforting, then it might be too good to be true. And it's likely a rationalization. Yes. But I think in believing that, we can perhaps discount the possibility that something could be both comforting and true at the same time. It's a logical error.
0: I, I, you know, I, frankly, recently, until recently I, I might have said, you know, it's hard to believe they don't want good news, but I have heard just over the past week from a couple of people who had discovered my work and the work of others and, and Suddenly, now they no longer were afraid of death, and they wanted to ask me more questions about it, but they had, they had trouble believing that the answers are all good news. It's like, it's, it's, if it's this good, how can it be true, sort of? We're so used to thinking, well, there's the good, and then there's the bad, and it's all good. That's hard, I think, harder to swallow. You're right about that.
1: Yeah. And, and I think there's also the kind of the reputations of many scientists in the field. And this is something that I've explored further with my podcast that's now out called Where Is My Mind, where I've interviewed many of the scientists that I write about. And I ask this very question of, well, how, how is there so much resistance? And often the scientists tell me that they'll speak to mainstream scientists who will say, well, if, if what you're doing is correct, then everything that I've done in my career will have been wrong. And I don't that's want That's right.
0: That's right. That's right. That's exactly right. Um, After all, these are working people, and they only can work if they get paid. And if you want to get something funded, you have to be inside of the scientific paradigm, which right now is emphatically – Materialists, So uh, they want to keep their job. They need to put the kids through college and plan for retirement. So so please, God, don't let this all sort of break out until at least I, I get to retirement age and then I don't care. I really think there's a factor there of that, because you're right. It means a whole century of science is essentially, and most of it's out the window. And if mm. you're a scientist, that's the last thing you want to be told.
1: <laughs> it's thrilling. And, and I should, I should add that, that even people like Brian Josephson, a Nobel Prize winner in physics, he is not immune to this either. He has come out speaking about the paranormal, and he said that he thinks telepathy is real and that quantum physics might explain it. He was uninvited from a scientific conference because of his interest yes. in the paranormal. Yes. So, so that, I think, is a very telling story of someone who is so credible in a mainstream way – He even broaches this topic and is considered to be an outsider. So can you imagine if you're not a Nobel Prize winner in physics? It would take a lot of courage to decide to explore these topics.
0: Think about it. What a shocking story that is. Uh, He was uninvited. This bubble is so important to them. Um, I, I... of course, Max Planck was discouraged when his great, the greatest discovery of the 20th century was ignored. And uh, he finally said, well, you know, science advances by deaths. People will die off who believe these things, and then there'll be a new generation. He said that in like the 1940s. It, it it's just it's it's going to be a hundred years. It will have been by the time this is really um, has broken forth into the world in a major way. So what's going to make that happen? What do you think is going to be? Because we all know that January of some year will be where we are now. Um, the truth will be basically stonewalled, and by the end of that same year, everybody's going to say, "We always knew that." That's how quickly the truth will dawn, I think, when, when there's enough of a of a of a cascade effect happening.
1: but what do you think will trigger it I think we're starting to see. A growing interest in consciousness, which is important, because the more emphasis is placed on the topic, the more we're forced to confront the idea that we have no idea how consciousness is produced. And consciousness is essential to our sense of being, every single human being. So that, I think the more we we focus on consciousness, naturally questions will arise. But I think mainstream attention and mainstream credibility will be critical. And there's a semi-recent example, which I think is extremely positive. It's a paper that was published in American Psychologist by Dr. Etzel Cardenia. It's a meta analysis of many of the parapsychological phenomena that have been conducted uh, in, in laboratory settings for decades. So, telepathy, precognition, remote viewing, psychokinesis, looking at the statistical results of decades of research. And American Psychologist, which is the official peer reviewed journal of the American Psychological Association, approved the article. Wow.
0: Yes. That's very good. That's very encouraging. And Bernardo, who I know you have interviewed, I just think he's a fascinating young man. He's a Dutch. Um, I, I had been a computer. His PhD as a computer scientist. He just got a di- different PhD in in um, studying this ver- these very areas. I would. I can't remember what they exactly called it. But yeah, he his. Um, I have recently shared with the people who follow my my uh, blog posts that uh, you know I shared the, the half hour. Uh, it's on. You, look it up, everyone. It's online. Bernardo Castro defends his PhD thesis. To hear this young man talk, you know, you are looking at, a, at perhaps he's going to be the one who gets the Nobel Prize um, for having discovered that consciousness is at the root of it all. I don't know, but he's he's a wonderful, inspiring young man. But but. Um, I discovered him in Scientific American. Hmm. Now, I guarantee you, because where they let him have a blog and he talks about all this stuff, I guarantee you that even five years ago, because that's always been my favorite magazine. I I keep following it. For a long time, I followed it, hopefully. Now, it's a humor magazine, mostly. but, But there was Bernardo. And that's very encouraging, don't you think?
1: I think it's very encouraging. I think he is brilliant. I agree. His his new book, The Idea of the World, I think is a really critical book of looking at this consciousness-centric picture from a philosophical standpoint. He really picks apart the materialist, physicalist worldview uh, philosophically. Um, But I think it's very encouraging that he's been in Scientific American. I can say from personal experience, though, that when my publicists reached out to Scientific American, they wouldn't even read the book. And uh, no, we're, they, we're, we're, they we're pretty negative. Yeah. No, that, on the that's,
0: why, that's why I was so astonished to find him there. I think what, well, one of the differences may be that he is a, a PhD. Now he's, he has a PhD in the study of consciousness. I forgotten what the actual technical term is. So um, he can be there um, uh, perhaps because he's, he's uh, playing on their field, wearing their, their uniform, even though he's playing for the opposite team. But um it, it's going to happen quickly, I think. I, I believe it'll happen within the next decade. And it's astonishing to be able to say that. Um, but but my, my belief is that one of the things that may make it happen, and we've talked about this on Seek Reality, is that there's better and better uh, electronic communication being developed with the people we used to think were dead. And there are people working on easy, independent ways to communicate with the dead. Like you have an app on your phone. You know, how did Aunt Martha, great, great Aunt Martha used to make her uh, stuffing at Thanksgiving? Let's ask her. (laughs) And we call up great, great, great Aunt Martha, and she tells us. Well, you try telling, when people have that app on their phone, try telling them Aunt Martha died. Well, you know what? They're not going to believe you. They're going to think you're an idiot. So I think what's going to happen is that science will be in the end shamed into beginning to look at what you're looking at now. I don't, I don't see how else it, they'll get there than through shame, but I believe that mm-hmm. that's going
1: to happen before long. Well, you, you raise an important point of, uh, I think, a broader issue, which is personal experience. That yes. seems to be something that really affects people, perhaps more than reading about a study, which is a more abstract exercise.
0: I think that's true, too. Um, are, you, do you, are you studying at all the kinds of um, transformational, transformative experiences that people are having personally? Um, is that an area of interest of yours?
1: It is. It is. I mention it a bit at the very end of the book when I talk about kind of enlightenment or awakening experiences, and it's something that I have I've certainly studied and talked to many people who have had those experiences. And it's, it's just very clear that something is happening at a highly subjective level that is difficult to put into words, but it happens in a way that seems to be very consistent across many people across different periods of time.
0: Yeah, I I think that you're right about that. Um, I think that an important uh, area, of course, is near-death experiences, which almost didn't exist before 1975, and are common now, very common. Of course, none of them has anything to do with death. That's a different phenomenon from death. But just knowing that your mind can easily survive outside your body, even if your brain is temporarily non-functional, is a very uh, that's a very important thing. And be, and the kind of experience it usually is very spiritually uplifting lifting um transformational in that way is very important but people won't talk about these things unless they trust you so um you know if you're able to get people to talk to you openly about these spiritually transformative experiences that they've had um that would be a wonderful area to study because i think by by midlife most people have had one uh and they just don't talk about it
1: I've found that, too, especially now that I have a a book out on this topic and I've spoken so publicly. I hear from people all the time who will say, I've had X and Y experience. I haven't felt comfortable talking to anyone about it right there's a lot of that
0: <laughs> yes well, I'm, one, I'm I'm very glad that you are a very approachable person anyway you don't seem like a stuffy scientist you you're a you're a nice guy and I think people want to talk to nice guys that are going to be receptive to what they have to say um, so so all right how are how are the is the world going to change do you think let's say that within the next few years suddenly everybody is aware they're reading your book they're reading bernardo's book they're 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 aware that their minds are permanent that that it's impossible to die and they're aware that consciousness is at the base of everything how do you think you know you talk about how everything will change for example
1: how do you think things will change i think the biggest implication of all this is the the interconnectivity that's implied by this view of reality, that we're not as separate as we appear to be. We're very biased by our perceptual systems, and in particular, our our eyes. We see the world around us, and we interpret things as being separate and over there. Uh, But when we look at the nature of reality through science and philosophy, we discover that really we're interconnected. And that has big implications for how we think about treating one another. Because if you take the materialist view of the world, which says that we we have an individual mind that is limited to the body, and when the body dies, it's over, There really cannot be any meaning to life beyond a rationalization. And even while living, the incentive is just to kind of accumulate as much material stuff as possible. And maybe you care about someone else, but at the level of reality, does it matter how someone else is doing or how the planet's doing? And these were ideas I wrestled with. And I mean, I still do, but before I got into this work, I understood the implications of materialism, which is that there is no meaning and we're all separate and nothing actually matters. Now, we're talking about something very different, where perhaps we are interconnected, and I think that's where the evidence points now. Yes. I I think one of the biggest um, findings that I've come across in my research is the life review phenomenon in the near-death experience. Yes. Where people relive their whole life in a flash, and this is during a time when their brain is either completely off or barely functional, and they're observing how they acted towards people. One of the most profound conversations I've had personally was with Danny and Brinkley. And this is, again, in my podcast, oh, yes. Where Is My Mind. He's a
0: character, isn't he? <laughs> he's, a, he's
1: a character, but when I saw it to interview him, I had heard about his three near-death experiences. And he yes. got on the phone with me and told me he just had a fourth. So well, here's someone. What? To- it's
0: like he it turns them out like cookies. He just, there's so many. Why did he have a fourth? Did he tell you what happened?
1: Uh, he had, so it was open-heart surgery. And oh, de- that'll do it. All right. Yeah, and what's interesting about his case and why it affected me so much is that each time, each of his four near-death experiences, he had a life review, and each time it started from the beginning of his life. So there were certain things he had to relive four times over, and then he had incremental stuff that he was experiencing. Yes. In his case, he relived his events in Vietnam. So he fought in Vietnam. He told me he was vicious, killed many people. So he had to live— not only from his own vantage point of how all that went, but he relived the deaths of the people that he killed through their yeah. eyes.
0: From their perspective, absolutely. From That's their right.
1: perspective, and he felt the indirect effects. He felt the effects of the child who no longer had a father because he had killed the father in combat.
0: Isn't that amazing? And that's exactly what happens everyone, by the way, when you have your own life review, when we all do, after we do our completed death, um, we get to, to experience our entire life not just from our perspective, but from the perspective of everyone we've touched for good or ill. But when I really got that I started trying to be so much nicer. <laughs> you, you really you really don't want to see how you, little things even, some of the most painful things are when you find out your your friend who was overweight or was had a handicap or something and you had treated that person callously that can break your heart um so many things but i remember his book his book is fascinating daniel brinkley i don't recall what it's what it's uh, he may have more out now i don't recall its title but his he, he was a kind of a monster in the beginning he was killing people he was like working for the cia doing all this stuff had a near-death experience and it was awful and but then he tried to do better and better, and I guess they get better every time he got to see. He was he was relieved that the next time, at least this is what I recall. His life review was so much nicer.
1: Yes, yeah, that's what he told me. I mean, he he said that what matters in the life review, they're the little things. It's how you treated the cashier. It's not how big yes. your house was. Yes. So he his whole life transformed. He he became a hospice volunteer. And his case is, I think, representative of what happens to many other people who have a near-death experience and have a life review. So but going back to your original question of how would things actually change, if the life review is part of the reality we're in and no one is immune from that, how would we live on a daily basis just knowing about the possibility of a life review, even if you don't fully yes. buy it? I think that, yeah. that has a possibility of transforming people quickly.
0: Another thing that I think is going to happen, and, and um, I think the implications of this are independently amazing, is that fear of death is the core fear, um, and all the other fears really seem to, ro- to derive from that. When you when you really get that you aren't going to die, your life is eternal, and nobody you love will die either. When you really get that, it really does. Take away all your other fears, too. That happened to me, and I've met so many other people that it's happened to. So what you're doing in in giving people a, a grounding, for that because it's hard to believe that we don't die when you see people put in the, the ground it's hard to believe it uh, that, that there is a, an afterlife when we don't see it I mean how is it possible but you're showing them how it is and how things really work in reality just as, just as that's what I try to do but once you get rid of the fear you're going to raise the vibration of this planet the consciousness vibration so much just by getting
1: rid of the ballast that is fear of death. I completely agree. It, it's the core fear underlying anything else. It's kind of the fear of, of temporariness, um, yes. that, that, things, that, that things have a finite uh, duration. And interestingly, you're reminding me of my conversation with Dr. Alan Huguenot, who survived a near-death experience in the 1970s. And what he told me is that, first of all, he didn't want to come back into his body. He was, being cradled. Right. He was being cradled by a being of light and was told he had to come back. And he doesn't fear death at all but what he does fear is pain and suffering in the body. So even yes. though we get we might get rid of that uh, existential fear, we still are in bodies and we are subject to what it's like to be a human being.
0: Yes, um, I, I think that. Well, I, I guess I really don't feel as much fear about that either, just because I know that when people have had difficult deaths, um, when they speak to their loved ones afterwards, they say that was an, an immense, immensely positive spiritual experience. You know, they they look at it from how much they they how much they grew out of that bad experience. So um, I think even that it it really will change everything about our attitudes and about our lives, and it's going to reach. We're going to have to rethink science, aren't we? Because, in fact, nothing is material. Uh, quantum mechanics is, is really the core mechanics. It seems to be the plug that connects this reality with all the rest. But it's going to, don't you think it's going to change? The, I mean, we'll do more and more quantum things, quantum computing and quantum medicine. And,
1: and don't you think that's really also going to be big, too? I, I completely agree with you. And the way I like to think about it is in, in the field of science – all of our equations kind of have consciousness equals zero, because consciousness is believed to be an epiphenomenon of the brain that has yes. no impact on the physical world. Right. And right. if consciousness is the basis of reality, then that that assumption of C equals zero is wrong. That's right. right. Yeah, that's okay. a pretty
0: basic difference, right? Basic. That's true.
1: <laughs> so every equation would need to adjust for consciousness in some way. So I think there's a massive impact on science, which we would all benefit from, from having oh, a, a more accurate… Uh, Absolutely,
0: yes. Also, it's going to be tra- tragic, though, that some people are going to find that they, their life's work was worthless. I feel <laughs> bad about that. But the, the sooner this change happens, the better it will be that these young scientists won't go through that. I'm sorry, you were about to make a point. Yes,
1: well, hopefully we can, we can say that uh, people's life works will be recontextualized
0: oh, and that it's good. still
1: <laughs> usable it just in a new context of consciousness. So it oh, might make it more palatable. Yeah, th- thank you for doing that. That's comforting. So all right, yeah, So, you have a podcast
0: now, which is different from what a lot of people have in terms of a podcast. Where did that idea come from?
1: When I signed with Bill Gladstone, my literary agent, this was back in 2017, he said, look, this, you're not an author in the space. People don't know who you are. It would be really helpful to do to make a name for yourself so that people uh, know who you are and then they'll recognize your name when your book comes out. So I I was thinking of podcasts initially to to help with that because podcasts for me were extremely helpful when I was learning because I got to hear from people themselves and got to gauge their credibility of, wow, this person spent his or her whole life studying this topic. Do I really think this person's lying? Yes or no. So I think I, I, I was able to do those calculations in my head. And I said, wait, I could try to do the same thing, make the information as accessible as possible, um in my own podcast so another set of synchronicities occurred i reached out to the one friend I, I have in the media area he does sports shows um usually for tv and i said hey do you know anything about podcasts i'm, I'm thinking about starting a podcast And he said you're not going to believe this i'm leaving my uh, sports tv show to go to the biggest podcast production company next week and i hadn't oh, talked to this guy goodness. in years
0: Yeah, that's um, a synchronicity. So people listening are saying, "Uh, wait a minute, how is that possible? What a coincidence. Well, we're told by people who are not in bodies that there are very few actual coincidences. Statistically, they're very unlikely. That was not a coincidence. That was (laughs) a a synchronicity. That was something that was meant to happen. And I'm
1: I'm thrilled about that for you. That's wonderful. So when I first talked to my, my friend and now producer, Matt, uh, in 2017, I was anxious to get the podcast out. I wanted to interview people, record the interviews, and get the, the interviews out to people. And he said, Mark, please just trust me, don't do that. We need to make a unique show that is like a real production, because you need your show to stand out. And if you just put out interviews, it's not it's not going to have the same impact as what he was envisioning. So yes. I I said, okay, I'm going to hold on this. And the way we're, we're constructing the podcast is much more like the show, This American Life, or Serial, where it's a narrative, where I I wrote a script for the show, and it's a conversation between me and my producer, Matt. And Matt is kind of playing the layperson. He works, again, in the sports area and is asking me questions about these topics. And we draw from the nearly 50 interviews that I've conducted. So, for example, if we talk about near-death experiences, I'll say, well, I talked to Dr. Bruce Grayson from the University of Virginia, and we'll play a minute clip of him explaining something. And there's music, and it's kind of a hopefully a digestible way to learn about an entire category of, of phenomena in a a short amount of time. So what's the
0: sort of format? The two of you were talking, but you're interviewing this person as well.
1: So I have conducted the interviews already. There are 50 of them and those will be available to people also just conversations like this, except with uh, scientists. The show itself though, the narrated version is a conversation between me and Matt, and we interject clips from the interviews.
0: Oh, okay, all right. And so, are you? Have, how, how many of these conversations have you had with him? Do you do it every week, or how, what do you do about that? With that,
1: there are eight episodes, at least in the first season. And each episode covers a particular topic. So, one, for example, is all about near-death experiences. And in the episodes, you might hear from ten different scientists or people yes. who have a near-death experience great Uh, so there are eight of them and that one it will be one episode released per week starting on august 8th although the trailer is out now it's called where is my mind it's available on all major players and people are free to subscribe
0: okay now let's let's be sure everybody knows it's called where is my mind and i'm even writing this down to make sure that i get it right in
1: the um, description and um Is there a link to it that you can give us? I can give you. Yeah, it's on iTunes. It's on Spotify. But I, uh, I can send it to you. Yeah, that would be show notes. Yeah. If
0: you do that, then I'll make sure everybody gets gets it because he has an extraordinary a list of scientists, um, including uh, some people I would love to interview, and I actually. Probably, I guess I don't – it seems like a stretch to get them to talk to me. Um, And the one person who ever turned me down was Rupert Sheldrake. He doesn't know I'm his biggest fan, and he turned me down. But you got him too. You got everybody. How did you do that? How did you – did you call them up and say hi? Did they know
1: know who you were? How did you get these people? I I got really lucky. I think it kind of spiraled with my book uh, because – uh, I I started to uh, get to know some of the scientists through the endorsements and through my agent, and and because I had certain names, I think behind the book, it, it helped me get a foot in the door. Yes, it's
0: impressive. You have a very impressive group of endorsers and, and people that that are enthusiastic about your work. And so, how long? So there's a, a sort of core of all of these that people can listen to, I guess, right on 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 your um, platform. Can they listen, for example, to what Rupert said to you or what you and Rupert said together? Or do they need to find that in, in the conversations you're
1: having with that's, your friend? That's a great question. But we are in the conversations with my friend, which we'll call kind of the main event. Um, it's just small clips from the interviews. But all of the full interviews in their entirety will be available on my website starting in August. Oh, so great, as of now perfect. that's 50 interviews, and each one's close to an hour. Usually. Yes.
0: Yes, well, that's great, because uh, let me just tell you, everyone, he has really got the A-list of people, including Bernardo, including Rupert, um, the A-list of of a lot of the most serious people and and most important people doing this work today. Um, Some of these people... Are, are going to be are going to go down in history for what they've what they have discovered. They are the pioneers, and it's very very exciting that you're capturing them this way and getting them talking seriously. Because for too long, too many of them have been ignored. I'm very very happy that you're doing this, and we'll make sure we promote it as best we can. Now, there's a cost to it, right? People, there's a little cost,
1: as I recall. Uh, oh well, for the full-length interviews, uh, we're, we're, we're probably going to charge somewhere around thirty dollars for unlimited access to forty-plus oh. hours of the interviews. Yeah, that's so, that's a good deal. I'll <laughs> do that deal. <laughs> yes, uh, and the the other the narrated version of the eight episodes that will be available for free on all the major podcast players. That's so great. We, we want to make it accessible. There are editing costs, and that, that's why there has to be uh, some cost to it. But we want to make it accessible to as many people as possible.
0: That's great. 30 bucks is a is a good deal, especially if it's unlimited access. Because as I say, these are some of the greatest people in this field. And it's wonderful that you're giving them a chance to really shine. I mean, I'm pleased about this. This is great. And what, what are, where are you going next? Have you thought about this? Is there another book <laughs> in the offing?
1: I get asked that all the time. I sure. think right now we are still in the final editing phases of some of the episodes. And until this podcast is complete, it's going to be hard for me to think about the next project. So I'm really in the, the final phases of that. And editing a podcast is very different than editing a book. I'm learning. Oh, yes. So, yeah. yeah that's, that's my big project. I really don't know, though. I mean, recently I, I was uh, added to the board of directors at the Institute of Noetic Sciences. So that's Thank going to you. be a big Thank you. But that's the, I, I love the work that they're doing. I think they're one of the pioneering uh, yes. institutes in the world. I think also the University of Virginia, the Division of Perceptual Studies, yep. is doing amazing Absolutely. work. Yes. So I want to be more involved in trying to move things forward. And I think that's generally what I'm trying to do because I know for me personally, the information transformed my life. And I've heard from other people who have kind of been in my circles and have been along the ride with me. Their lives have shifted, too as a result of this exposure. So I want to make it accessible to people.
0: Yes. This is very exciting. Um, The Institute of Noetic Sciences is is, – Dean Radin is, to me, another one of my heroes, and he's also someone that you interviewed. Um, But these people have labored all their lives – under this tremendous foolishness of, well, what you're doing is not serious science. They've done the most serious science and extraordinary work. The same with the University of Virginia. What about the Monroe Institute? They're also doing Mm -hmm. wonderful work. It's just... Um, it, this is it's wonderful to see these people I've watched for my whole life doing the, this very important work, finally getting some of the recognition. And I know they're going to get a whole lot more. Thanks in part to what you're doing. I'm so, so pleased with what you're doing and the fact that you're making it – seem easy and fun that's part of the part of the problem with people who are scientists they can tend to get much too serious about things i know you're not a real scientist but you are mm-hmm. right having read your book um I, I think you should go in and try to get a phd too i think you've <laughs> certainly you. done the work for it Thank you. but um i do is there anything else you're, is there another book coming uh, do you think
1: after this after the 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 editing is done it's always possible i i am I, I never stop researching. So there's a lot in my head that didn't make it into the first book. I would just yes. have to think about exactly what it would be. And if I write a book, I want it to be really impactful and I want to feel really good about it. So that would be the first step is to find a topic or an angle that I'm passionate about rather than yes. just trying to put a book out. So that's yes. That would be step number one.
0: Yeah, because most people don't make the money from the book. The book is how they make themselves known, and this—it's this—is basically not usually a day job for anyone. So it's good that you have a day job, <laughs> which is going to pay the way. But but it is it is important to do this for the world. I mean, the world is desperate for this kind of information. I'm so glad to have you back and to have you talking with us about what's up now with you. Um, and I'm glad that you're getting into the. Into the the sort of embedded in the community, as they say, and <laughs> on the board of ions and working with these other other key players, because um, that part of what you're doing then is because you'll be able to be an ambassador for them as you do the rest of your work. Uh, it, it's it's too many people, I think, in the area of research in terms of the greater reality have been laboring without really being interconnected with other people doing this work. And that's one of the great things you're doing. You're, you're getting involved with all of them or as
1: many as you can. And, and that's so refreshing and exciting to see. Well, Thank you for saying that. I think uh, the way I've been thinking about how things can really progress in society is that uh, education is going to be really important. The education system needs to start to incorporate many of these ideas. But even more than that, I think it's really a PR Issue yes. of yes. The, the public perception of, of there. There's been a lot of kind of skeptical outcrying about many of these ideas throughout the last few decades, and hopefully that can start to shift. So um, I think the more the more new angles we have on the topic, the better. And I'm again very thankful to my producer Matt uh, for my podcast because he's from the sports world, and to have yes. someone like him and his yes. group working on on the show, they keep me in check. They make sure that it is <laughs> right. digestible, and I think it's, yes. it's going to be uh, outlets like that that hopefully reach new audiences.
0: No, I, I, I think it's, it, it is very important to have people who know how to speak to people where they are as opposed to um, you know just uh, what too many people in this field have done, which is to throw the information out there and assume everyone will get it, and it's so foreign to what they've ever learned. I mean, I haven't mentioned this this time. Usually, I do, but um, the whole as bad as science is about getting you know, letting people understand the truth, Christianity is just as bad. I mean, they they actively fight this kind of research. It's astonishing to me. Um, it the people like you and me and all these other wonderful people that you've interviewed and that I interview, we're working between science and Christianity. They think they cover the field, but they don't cover really anything anymore. It's astonishing. So, that what's what's a refreshing? Refreshing to see is that what used to be very strange to people, more and more people are getting it. I hear from so many people now who who tell me, you know, they always thought this kind of thing was what was really going on and now they're expanding beyond what they used to believe and they're expanding into what they think is really the truth and they're excited about it i hear from people in their 70s and 80s who who talk as if they're teenagers having discovered these truths and that's another thing you're doing you're helping them to get sort of oriented toward what comes next which is wonderful
1: yeah and and you're doing the same thing as well so i really commend you for your show and all the work that you do I think it takes many of us, and but it's it's conversations like this, I think, of maybe if someone hasn't heard about these topics before, it can really shift someone's life. So you never know who will hear a conversation, and you've been doing this for many years. So thank you for your work.
0: Oh, thank you. This is a mutual admiration society. I could do this forever. Unfortunately, <laughs> though, we have come to the end of our time. I really feel bad about this. We'll do this again, Mark. But, I love that. Um, What's Your your website is markgober.com, right? People can go yes. you there. M-A-R-K-G-O-B-E-R.com. It's great when you can get your own name. It's not common anymore, but that's a good thing. And uh, with... Everyone, this is a very important book. Mark is a very important researcher. And what's exciting is you're going to get to get in, with. if you read his book, you're, you're in on the ground floor of some amazing things that are going to be common knowledge in 20 years. It's astonishing, even probably not even that long. So meanwhile, as you all know, this has been Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. I'm glad you could be with us today. I hope you take really a lot away from this. Please never forget that you are a powerful, eternal being. You never began, you never will end. And when you really get what that means, it changes everything in your life for the better. Next week, our guest for the 27th time will be our much beloved friend and the world's leading expert in the study of the greater reality and how it all fits together, Dr. R. Craig Hogan. I should add that one of the key books in the field of our better understanding how all of reality works is Craig Hogan's wonderful Your Eternal Self. And Craig, the world's leading expert in this area and in how it all fits together, loves, loves, loves Mark Gober's book. He believes that this book and its author will be critical, he said this to me, to our finally enlightening the world. So as I've said, next week he'll be here for the 27th time. And what's amazing is every one of these programs has been different. We've talked about different things each time. This time we're going to be discussing communication with the afterlife, why it's so hard, how you as an individual can learn to communicate with your dead loved ones as individuals. People have been asking me about doing this interview, so please join us next week. You're going to love it. This week, of course, we've been talking with the brilliant young visionary Mark Gober, like the extraordinary... Bernardo Kastrup, I love these two people. Mark has discovered that consciousness is primary, and he's now telling that truth to the world. He was last with us at the end of 2018 to introduce us to his wonderful book. It's called An End to Upside Down Thinking Dispelling the Myth that the Brain Produces Consciousness and the Implications for Everyday Life. For you to really and completely grasp the scientific fact that your mind and all other human minds are eternal and part of one, Pre-existing consciousness exists outside of time. When you really get that, and his book will help you to do it, it'll take you light years ahead of where you are now, but when you really get that, it literally changes everything. This is the single most important thing that you can do to vanquish your fear of death and your fear of everything. When you no longer fear death, you know, it does nothing matters. It turns life from a tragedy into a comedy to know that. And I don't think you can really understand that your life is eternal until you've learned some of the core things that are in books, like Mark Gober's wonderful book. Again, it's called An End to Upside Down Thinking. I've added it to my own bibliography that I share with others. very important book. As you know, I have books, too. My nonfiction books are Liberating Jesus, my Thomas, The Fun of Dying, The Fun of Staying in Touch, The Fun of Growing Forever, The Fun of Living Together. And in the fall of 2019, we're going to get to where the rubber meets the road. You'll be able to read The Fun of Loving Jesus, Embracing the Christianity that Jesus taught. For young children, there's the fun of meeting Jesus, and you can order all these books, of course, through bookstores or on Amazon. The adult books, of course, will also always be available on Audi as audio books. If you want to talk about anything with me, please don't forget, you can always reach me through RobertaGrimes.com. There's a contact block there, and I answer, I answer every email. So please make sure you give me your right email address, because otherwise I'll write a long email and get real cranky when it bounces. You don't want to see me cranky, so please do. Give me your regular email address, and... um Give me a few days to answer because I get so many emails, but I love hearing from people and it's a thrill for me to be able to help you. So if I can, just let me let me know. Past episodes of Seek Reality are available on webtalkradio.net, realrevolutionradio.com, iTunes, iHeartRadio, and a number of other stations. And there's especially those, in, I should just say, in the wonderful Dream Vision 7 radio family. I'm so happy about what they do with my work. More and more people tell me also that they just listen to the Seek Reality app that you can find for free in the iTunes app store. And there's a new one, of course, that comes out every week. And if you ever get lost about where you know where are we now, you can always just go to the robertagrimes.com radio tab and uh, and you can find out there where, we're, where we are live or what we're doing now. Of course, I hope you will start to follow my blog uh, because we talk there about some of the very same things that we talk about here. And uh, it's always, I think, um, there's a little more space in a blog where you can talk about things in a more sort of detailed way. But again, just don't don't hesitate to reach out to me. I'm your friend, and I'm trying very hard to make this easy for you. It took me 50 years to get to where I am now, learn enough to be able to talk to you about this today. I'm, my goal is for you to get there in two or three years, and then you are going to have the happiest possible life. So meanwhile, this has been Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Please enjoy and please make the most of this coming week in our one reality knowing that you in particular are a powerful eternal being and you, most of all, are infinitely loved. You've been listening to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Roberta blogs and answers questions at robertagrimes.com. Join us every week as we explore what the afterlife evidence and modern science combine to tell us is true about the one reality we all share. Knowing the truth changes everything.